The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks your climate-focused podcast produced by the team at republicen.org. I'm your crazy cat lady host, Chelsea Henderson, making this admission to you about my cat-obsessed ways because today's guest had his own furry and loudly purring cat Mia sitting next to him for our recording. And EcoRight speaks first, hopefully not last. Listeners, Eli Lair is the president of the R Street Institute and is one of the original advocates for free market solutions to climate change. He oversees all R Street operations, makes major strategic decisions, works closely with R Street supporters, and is ultimately responsible for all of R Street's many informative products. Having previously served as vice president for Washington, D.C. operations at the Heartland Institute, Eli co-founded R Street in June of 2012. Earlier in his career, he worked as a speechwriter to then-Senate Majority Leader Bill Frist from Tennessee. He's also worked as a project manager for the Unisys Corp and as senior editor of the American Enterprise Magazine and as a fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Eli started his career as a reporter for the Washington Times. Listeners, don't go away. My conversation with free market advocate Eli Lair is coming up next. Welcome back, listeners. I am here in conversation today with one of the original free market advocates for climate action, Eli Lair. Eli, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Delighted it's, to be on and delighted for everything Republican does. Yeah, it's been, you know, we've all been in the trenches together for a really long time, but you are really on the forefront of, of the recognition that we needed to have free market solutions to climate change. And for our listeners who maybe don't know exactly what we mean by the free market, I thought you could just take a moment to explain that terminology and then explain a little bit about what our street does. Sure. Uh, so free market solutions are those solutions that are just what they sound like. They rely on individuals, markets, and choices rather than central mandates. Uh, markets are not something that can exist without any government regulation or interference. You need certain things um, that the government provides to protect markets. But they put the individual individual choices and entrepreneurs at the center, uh, rather than deciding that even when it comes to a very serious and complex problem like climate change, that central regulators, that bureaucrats, that corporate executives know all the answers. So when you say you need the government, is that where um, what we would call a market signal, for example, so some sort of policy? Yes. Now, at the basis, the only things the government needs to do to maintain a free market are the very basic things, courts, police, law enforcement, and you need those things. Now, a variety of other policies could have a constructive role and could shape the market in the right way. We have to be cautious about those. Uh, a carbon tax is one that I feel is good, uh, provided it's revenue neutral and does not go government. But, you know, there are 
a variety of things. And certainly if you're an absolute free market purist that you want an absolutely minimal state, well, then those policies don't work. And for you, uh, I think that given the degree of problem climate change presents, some of them are worth looking at. Uh, but from a purist point of view, I wouldn't consider them perfect. Um, I don't know if you saw it, but um, Michael Bloomberg had an op-ed where he made the point that some of the current um, rhetoric around ESGs and um, some lawmakers wanting to prevent um, ESGs from uh, from, com- from companies issuing ESGs or having ESGs, and he was saying that's anti-free market. You know, these exist because there's been demand. He's he's largely right on that. I I have plenty of quarrels with Michael Bloomberg, but on this issue, he's right. The ESG movement is very largely a market-driven one. It's driven because it's what consumers want, it's what investors want, and it's what what society as a whole wants. So even when I disagree with it, there are certain things done under the label of ESG, that I find quite objectionable personally. But these are private entities and private entities should be able to do basically whatever they want to as long as it doesn't directly hurt somebody else. And a lot of these policies, uh, even ones that I disagree with, are policies that I'd be very troubled if the government had them, but private institutions, fine. And that is... And that is a problem. It, it is really the case that people like Ron DeSantis, uh, who have attacked companies that they don't like, are no more a threat to the free market, but also no less than somebody like Gavin Newsom in California. The attacks on the market, whether from the left or the right, are attacks on basic freedoms that Americans have and basic freedoms that businesses need to innovate, to expand, to create wealth, and to improve our lives. So talk to our listeners a little bit about the work that R Street is specifically doing in energy markets. R Street's work in energy markets focuses on the way we purchase, pay for, distribute, generate electricity. We work on some other issues too, ranging from uh, uh, electric vehicles to uh, to um, to wetlands uh, conservation. But when it comes to our environmental stuff, our the center of our effort is this work on the electricity grid. Fundamentally, the entire system by which we purchase, pay for, generate electricity is shot through with every type of government regulations, every type of mandate. A lot of these mandates are enormously destructive. There are things that require coal plants that aren't being used to be run. There are mandates that uh, spend a a small amount of money to install, a large amount of money to install a few windmills when you could reduce CO2 emissions more by building a new natural gas plant. These don't know any any party, but on the whole, uh, and this is just the way the market is developed right now, a cleaner 
way of generating electricity is simply the cheapest way to generate electricity too. Fundamentally, and this has happened in the 10 years since our street has existed, we've gone from coal being the cheapest way to generate power to natural gas and onshore wind, uh, one of which is essentially CO2 emissions free, both of which are particulate free, and one of which has less than half of the emissions of coal. And that's what's cheap. That's what the market wants. And it's only through government subsidies that we continue to use many of the dirtiest fuels or the fuels that contribute most to climate change. That's right. Some of those subsidies that have been on the books for over 100 years just make my head explode. Yes. The worst one is the intangible drilling costs right off, in my judgment. There is a special tax provision that gives a special tax credit for people who, who, who want to open oil wells. The tax credit was created, essentially. Uh, it's a deduction, I should say. But the deduction was created uh, because there were so many risks implicit in having oil. And people weren't sure if oil was economically valuable. And the government wanted to encourage experimentation with ownership of oil wells. <laughs> uh, I, I think that any look at it suggests that oil, in fact, has been shown to be a valuable resource. Yes. And that therefore a subsidy to encourage people to drill oil is not necessary at this point. So this reminds me of um, the Green Scissors Project. Do you still work on that? Yes. Yeah. Um, Nan Swift at our staff has been doing it. It's a joint venture between us at our straight, uh, Taxpayers for Common Sense, and the very left-wing uh, environmental group, uh, Friends of the Earth. And we look at all sorts of things, billions and billions of dollars of spending and tax policy that has the effect of damaging the environment. There is definitely a way to reduce the size and scope of government while simultaneously helping the earth. There are policies, proven policies, implemented mostly under Republican administrations that do just that. And for the most part, uh, the subsidies that are most harmful don't really know a party. Uh, instead, they are just uh, just things that... Uh, that people in both parties defend uh, because their jobs are powerful people in their district who, who rely on those. Is that an annual report, the Green Scissors report? It hasn't been produced every year. It's periodic. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we've done, sometimes it's been done two years in a row. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes it hasn't, but it, it's done periodically. The most recent edition is on our website, on Friends of the Earth's website, and on Taxpayer for Common Sense's website. We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at republicen.org. Now back to this week's episode. I I wanted to double back a little bit to um, the beginning of our conversation about free market solutions. And I thought maybe you could give the listeners some examples of times when an environmental problem was addressed by the free market. Sure. My very favorite example is a policy implemented by Ronald Reagan and his first Secretary of the Interior, James Watt, called the Coastal Barrier Resources Act. This is the most important environmental law that most people have never heard of. 
there are barrier islands and barrier beaches all around the Atlantic coast and Great Lakes. These are, to simplify things a little bit, overgrown sandbars that we know will erode away in time. Uh, climate change, no climate change, just the way water works. Barrier islands, barrier beaches will do these things. Now, they serve enormously important environmental functions uh, in protecting people from flood. There'll be protection from sea level rise as that accelerates with climate change. Uh, and they're important wildlife habitat. Uh, there were a number of government subsidies, the flood insurance program most prominently, but perhaps 20 or 30 other programs that in various ways encourage development in these areas. These areas, unless there was an extremely high economic value, which there occasionally is, the private sector would never develop them because anything you build there is going to be swept away by the wind and, and erosion just in, in, you know, in a decade, two decades, three decades, because they're basically temporary landforms. Right. And the Coastal Bureau Resources Act mapped out all of these areas and said, okay, private sector can do whatever it wants in these areas, but we're not going to spend a penny of government money to develop these areas, to help you develop these areas. And these will be uh, areas that will be kept protected, not by some high-handed mandate, uh, but rather by the fact that we're not going to help you develop them. And the result is that we have an area of conserved land larger than all but one national park in the lower 48 states. And instead of costing the taxpayers money, it saves the taxpayers money. It's, uh, it's billions of dollars in the, in, this, in the period that this has existed, that this has saved taxpayers. So it's a conservation project that, that has a negative cost to taxpayers. In other words, it's, it puts money into taxpayers' pockets. That is the best example I can think of a free market environmental policy that's worked very well. And, and that money that is saved would be things like um, bailing out the damage caused by a, a flood or a storm or destruction of property. Precisely. Yeah. Precisely. It's, yeah, that's, that's the main thing by far. Mm-hmm. There, are other, there are other things. But yes, it's mostly essentially things that would otherwise be covered by flood insurance or by various SBA programs. And there are, you know, there are other things. And, and the law contains a few sensible exceptions if an area is really needed for national defense purposes, stuff like that. Um, do you do work on the National Flood Insurance Program as well? Oh, I wrote my master's thesis on the National oh, Flood did Insurance you? Program. So, <laughs> it, it, um, so NFIP has been a major issue for our street. It's, in fact, the issue we've worked on the longest it's actually done primarily by our insurance project and our street started as an insurance think tank. But we've continued to work for reform with a number of, again, strange bedfellows. We have a coalition called Smarter Safer, which includes groups much like our street, for example, the National Taxpayers Union, uh, but also groups like the National Wildlife Federation, uh, which works to promote environmentally responsible, climate responsible uh, solutions to, uh, to natural disasters, particularly, although not exclusively, those, uh, those involved with, uh, with flooding. Right. And we've made some progress over the years. 
the program is still a net environmental negative mm-hmm. uh, for the country. And in my judgment, it should ideally be phased down, although not abolished willy-nilly. But we've made progress. Wealthy people, people with second homes, pay more for flood insurance and cover their own costs to a greater extent. The taxpayers are better protected by the fact that the program now purchases some private coverage in the market so that the whole cost isn't done taxpayers anymore. And we've and there is a better effort to promote better mapping, better mitigation efforts. And these efforts uh, are, are extremely important or very good idea. I think that some people may overstate how important they are in the context of climate change. Frankly, these changes to NFIP would be just about as necessary if climate change didn't exist. Most of the things causing floods in most of the country, most of the most threatened areas are for now and probably for quite some time to come going to be areas where the main problem isn't climate change. Mm -hmm. You have areas of the Gulf Coast where you're losing a foot of land a year due to um, due largely to silt starvation, uh, which results from dams and levees and stuff like that. Uh, Whereas the effect of thermal expansion from CO2 is a few tenths of an inch. Right. Well, so what cha- big challenges do you see? Does our street see um, the the country facing, especially where energy and climate are concerned as we move forward? I think that the basic challenge we face is, will we let the free market work? And right now we have people on both sides, both left and right, essentially against it. You have an attack from the left on the free market on the basis that the problem of climate change is so existential that we're all going to die soon if we don't do it, that we must uh, essentially manage the economy uh, to achieve a wide variety of left-wing goals because of climate change. And that would make society significantly less prosperous and would actually impede our ability to deal with the worst possible case scenario, uh, which is not impossible. But you have people from the right who want to attack efforts to deal with climate change, who want to force private companies, force private business, force private individuals to do things they don't want to do because they uphold certain interests, certain values that have been important to people on the right. So the fundamental challenge we face, I think, is not one between uh, left and right necessarily, because I really don't like the policies in either party's platform with regard (laughs) to climate change, although although I'd much prefer the Republican, although I think the Republican parties are much better, but they still... And the rhetoric of many people in the Republican Party is not helpful. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, this is a very difficult problem, a very serious problem, but one that like all difficult and serious problems can be solved with ingenuity, with adaptation, with technology. 
and to some extent with lifestyle changes even. But these are not things that will be successful if we try to mandate them centrally, or even worse, try to forbid them from happening. Right, right. Uh, we need an environment that lets people, that lets industry, that lets business, that lets innovators do what they want to. And that will, in the long run, I'm very convinced, deal with climate change. I think that is a wonderful, optimistic point to end on. I just want to refer our listeners that if you want to um, check out our street, your website is rstreet.org, right? Or is the institute in there? R-street. No, it's just rstreet.org. We picked and- the name in part because we could get a short URL. That was actually- You want the short, yes. And you use this lens through which our discussion happened today. You look at a variety of issues, so not just energy. Yeah, um, street is a multi-issue think tank. I don't know the exact percentage, but it's probably 80% of our work is on stuff other than energy and climate change. So listeners, I encourage you to check it out. I think that they just have a really nice, smart and very nonpartisan approach to looking at these big challenges. And I appreciate you, Eli, and the work you've done over the years. And thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Price. I love getting an OG climate free market solution guest on the show. So it was really good to hear um, and speak with Eli. Eli's definitely one of the OGs like us. They, what, been around since 2012-ish, I think is what he said. That's what I remember. I mean, they were, we were uh, birthing our infancy right at the exact same time, probably. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. We've kind of all been in the trenches together for a very long time. And um, so it's always good to check back in. And and what I really appreciate about our street is the the white papers they produce, the analysis that they generate. And they really, as you could hear from Eli, don't look at things through a partisan lens. They look at things through a lens of what they think will work. And we need more people doing that in the world. One of the, I guess probably the one word that jumps out to me when I always think of R Street, and, and this is a credit to them because I think it's just the history of, of the work that they've done, but fair. I just always think fair because, like you said, they when they take a stand on an issue, it's usually it's a print. It's not a political stand, you know, black and white. It's typically going through. They've done their research, and like you said, they produce a lot of white papers, um, a lot of information, a lot of research commentary on on different issues. Clearly, they're coming to it from a, a free market point of view. But I just appreciate uh, what they do, what they stand for, and. You know, when they're going to stand behind something and back something, it's it's always for a reason. It's it and it's fair. It's not uh, like you said. It's not looked at through a partisan lens. Plus, who knew that Eli Lair was a crazy cat gentleman? So I really appreciate that uh, his cat Mia was very um, obediently sitting next to him during our recording with her uh, soothing purr that I could hear. <laughs> <laughs> So I always love a good pet um, appearance on the show, and we got that this week for sure. Funny, I produced the audio, didn't even hear it. You and didn't I, hear it? Oh, I, my God. I didn't. I didn't you even. You know why? You're a dog person, that's why. Well, that is very true. I am not a cat person at all, but I did not hear. I did not hear anything. I heard Eli, and I heard you, 
And that's the way it should be. So that is the way it should be. So, uh, price, we have some new members. We do. We have some new new members. Monish B in Texas, Mary A in Massachusetts, Tiffany D in South Carolina, Richard F in Indiana, and Deborah J in Florida. Republican.org forward slash join is where you can sign up. We did not call Utah right there, but I know we had some new members from Utah. Bob spent a lot of time out there last week. Appreciate uh, a lot of our friends, many friends that we have out there, Bill Barron, Tom Moyer, just to name a few, uh, the folks at uh, Utah Technical University, Southern Utah University, a couple rotary clubs there in Cedar City and St. George. Thanks to them. Thanks to a lot of people who made it a, uh, a great trip and, and a great time for Bob uh, meeting and greeting and, and speaking and not just all that, but biking, you know, last week. So appreciate uh, all, all of them. And if you are interested in having Bob or somebody from our team at one of your events, uh, just drop me a line, please. Price at Republican.org. I handle all our programming events and that kind of stuff. So let me know. Yeah, I just loved seeing the photos from the first, uh, I guess, Utah 1.0 because there are two trips this month. Um, just how blue the sky was and how red those canyons were that they were biking through. I wasn't really envious of all the uphill biking it looked like they did, but I definitely have had the urge to get a bike, and, and they inspired me for sure. Yeah, it was definitely a, a great trip, and seeing the photos was was wonderful. And, you know, we are going to – I say we, but our team, led by Bob, Bob is going to be in Utah again next week starting Monday the 26th. And if you are a local Republican on the ground in the greater Salt Lake City area, please plan to join us uh, for breakfast. We're having an open breakfast. Any and all Republicans uh, that are uh, – Obviously, members of our community or would like to be members of our community uh, can go and catch up with Bob for a cup of coffee, a little bit of breakfast in Salt Lake City at Penny Ann's Cafe at 1810 South Main Street in Salt Lake City. That's going to be at 8.30 a.m. local time there in Salt Lake City again next Tuesday, September the 27th at 8.30 a.m. Please make plans to join us. Again, if you are a registered member of Republican, or if you want to be, we would love to have you. Bob would love to meet you there. When you were said open breakfast and just said open b, I wasn't really sure that was go where that was going. But uh, hey, open breakfast—you can eat a lot of food at, uh, on our on our um, on us. Gosh, where is my head? You know where my head is, Price. My head is in my son's bedroom. We leave tomorrow for college. And by we, I mean he, but I'm uh, taking him there. His room's a disaster. It looks like a hurricane literally blew through it. So I'm, I know it'll be hard, um, mom. Those are never easy. <laughs> They're never easy to pack uh, your child up and to leave your child at school. You've done it several times, but I know this will be a hard one uh, this week. Oh, I'm excited to get rid of him. No, I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> excited <laughs> for him to go to his next adventure. I'm not excited for the 4 a.m. Uber picking us up tomorrow morning to go to the airport. So, Well, before we let you go and get ready to get ready for that early Uber, what do we have on tap next week? Next week, we're going to have a little chat with our good friend, huge supporter of Republic EN, super volunteer Larry Howe. And he has um, 
commented before. We've had short clips of um, him on the show before. Um, and maybe he actually co-guested with Cindy Burbank back in the first season. Anyway, he is a pioneer on solar, residential solar, and um, was recently quoted or profiled in the Dallas Morning Star paper. And that got me to thinking, as I'm going down my own solar journey, that it would be good for the two of us to just chat a little bit. Um, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act that just passed increased the tax credit back up to 30% federal tax credit for um, all project costs for installing solar um, panels in your home. And so we're going to talk about sort of personal choice and responsibility and um, pros, cons, all those good things. Well, I look forward to that. I know our listeners look forward to that, where you can listen, download, all that kind of stuff. You can go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify. If you are not an Apple user, you can go to republican.org forward slash podcast. But go to your favorite podcast app. Just search Eco Right Speaks, and you can find us right there. A new episode delivered every Tuesday. And I'm looking forward to delivering that interview, Chelsea, next Tuesday. In the meantime, I hope you guys have a very safe and successful and smooth trip out to college out west. Thank you, Price. And thank you, listeners, for all the support. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast, brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.